Hello, Kristen here. Before we get into this episode, I wanted to tell you that the antidote is a thing that's happening. It's a series of monthly gatherings that will help you return to your body and your being over and over again in the face of, you know, 2024, election insanity, climate change, global wars, your own personal stuff, other stuff. It's crazy out there. And it's easy to abandon yourself and freak out. The antidote is for bringing you home to yourself so that you can be safe in your being even when the world outside of you feels objectively unsafe. And because everybody's marketing at you and there's no reason for you to believe me, you can head to jointheantidote.com to grab a free recording of the first session that happened this week so you can feel it instead of thinking about it to see if it's a good match for you. That is jointheantidote.com. Scroll all the way down and you will see a place to pop your email address in and grab the recording. Welcome to this episode of That's What She Said. This is the final podcast episode for 2018. And so I wanted to give you something that you could use as you begin to move into 2019, right up until the new year or after. Um, and I wanted to talk about some things with you. So this is the Planning 2019 podcast, but it's also applicable for 2020, assuming we don't enter into nuclear war, et cetera, et cetera. I intend for this to be timeless content, et cetera. Okay, so I was at Trader Joe's last week, and my cashier looked stressed out. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, they don't take the little tiny shopping carts away from Trader Joe's kids, and so there are children just jamming the aisles with their teeny tiny carts, and then adults just everywhere with their regular carts. It's Saturday, and everyone's eyes are just, like, wide open, and their eyebrows are just, like, pushing into the tops of their heads. It is not good. So I said, it's busy, huh? Like, are people crazy today? And she looked at me. And she wanted to like to confirm that I was not a secret shopper. And then she was like, one lady yelled at me because she wanted a 15 pound turkey and hers weighed 14.9 pounds. I only have so much control over turkeys, lady. <laughs> and I was like, what must it be like to be in her family? The sort of thing that sets you over the edge into all is chaos and we are doomed is that you want a 15-pound turkey, and instead you find a 14.9-pound turkey. Second thing, over the past couple of weeks, as I'm talking with my KK on tap coaching peeps, I found myself asking questions like, when is your cutoff deadline? When are you done working? When are you slowing down in December? What are you doing for the holidays? Are you taking time off in January? And I realized that I couldn't keep asking those questions without coming up with a better answer as myself. So in an effort to slow down and avoid becoming the screaming turkey lady from Trader Joe's, um, the podcast is on hiatus from now through January. So as we navigate 
these coming weeks and right into the new year, just wanted to share how I'm clearing the energy of the past year and planning for the one ahead. So the first part is clearing, the second part planning. That's how we do. And I know that those like shiny as fuck super planners that they print every year that get, they just get so much better at marketing them. And they promise that you're going to be organized and fit and meditating and rich in 30 days or less. I know that they've been on sale since October. I also know that you're still in the thick of things and you probably don't have time to reflect on anything except what to buy before you see your friend's sister-in-law's daughter, Stephanie, who you bought a gift for that one time and now you have to do it every year, right? So we don't do shame around here and there's no rush on listening to this. There's no rush on implementing any of this. It applies any time of year, whether it's April 3rd or October 17th, whatever, doesn't matter. It's here when you need it. Anytime you need a restart, this is how we do it. First, acknowledge everything. So this is directly stolen from Catherine North at Declare Dominion, i.e. Anna Kanucky. Um, she just changed her name. And it's two brilliant questions that help you process a bunch of stuff all at once. And the pairing of them is the genius. So first, what are you proud of having accomplished this year? And you list like five things. So a handful of things. And then what did you come through? And you list those five things. Usually when we list achievements, we divorce them from what we've encountered, engaged with, conquered, finished, fixed, said goodbye to, endured, or tried in any given year. And those things are inexplicably linked. Asshole brain is always going to say, you haven't done enough, and it'll make you think you haven't survived much either. But those assumptions don't hold up to even a little bit of inquiry. What are you proud of having accomplished? And what did you come through? When you answer those, when you acknowledge the tiny, annoying progress, as well as what you've straight up survived, you're honoring the places where you've spent your energies wisely. And you're also honoring those places and circumstances that just straight up take your energy as well. For example, and a totally hypothetical thing here, um, this year I have survived losing my beloved dog, Hermione D. Granger, the D stands for danger, adopting tiny pupper Aaron Neville Longbottom, having that tiny pupper uh, two weeks into having him in our possession spend a few days in the puppy ICU. Um, I've endured sleeping 16 hours at a time for months on end because my thyroid was like, yeah, peace out. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not doing this anymore. Uh, and that's also meant improvising my way through being 16 hours of sleep a day tired while paying so, so many thousands of dollars in unexpected veterinary and medical bills. So whatever I've accomplished has to go through that filter. And when we acknowledge the quite specific and often brutal working conditions we've survived, everything we've done this year seems amazing. Plus, we are all, as a global community, surviving the rise of populism. 30% of the world's population lives in a backsliding democracy. The 24-hour news cycle brings gloom and doom and disasters on a daily basis. So we all get an extra 20 achievement points just for surviving 2018. Even if you've done exactly nothing except survive, you have 20 achievement points because you didn't die, <laughs> okay? By the way, achievement points are made up and they don't actually matter, just so you know. Uh, okay, so part two, you've acknowledged some things and you're like, oh my God, I don't totally suck. I did survive a bunch of stuff. Yes, okay? So as you begin to look at the road ahead and the months ahead, you get out your calendar. This is pretty simple. 
but it's paper or digital, it doesn't matter to me. I can't do a paper calendar because the feeling of being unable to cross an item off a to-do list is devastating. But dragging an incomplete task from one day to another on my Google Calendar feels fine. Thus, I use a digital calendar. You might be the opposite or you might use both kinds. And I don't have any judgment about what's better or worse, except that having a calendar and a plan generally beats not having a calendar and a plan. Number three, add space and pleasure to your calendar first. So this is the total and complete opposite of what most people on earth do. This is the opposite of Tim Ferriss's ultimate productivity hacks and Gary V's crushing it, right? Um, this single action is powerful and it is rebellious. You add space and pleasure to your calendar first. You do not life hack your way to this. You just do it. You play with letting space happen. You play with letting pleasure take up blocks of time. And you do that before anything else gets layered into your schedule. So instead of filling your calendar with to-dos, work tasks, project ideas, deadlines, and then squeezing fun into those like two cold-ass days in February that remain that no one wants, you just choose to prioritize time for pleasure in the coming year. And this does not have to be, well, I'm taking six months off. That is taking a thing to its logical extreme and then saying you can't do it because you can't do the extreme of it. What I mean is penciling in vacations, birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, and just general days off before you add anything else to your calendar. If you would like to try out a four-day work week, maybe you can do that just once a month in the coming year. So you try out a four-day work week for 12 weeks of the coming year. Awesome. Doesn't have to be a big, huge, giant thing. You can reserve time in the form of crossed off work days. Even if you don't know where you're going on a vacation next September, you just allot those days off and that's that because you decide. You've made room. You also don't have to go on vacation to have time off. You can choose to take off a few days in March or a week in April or a long weekend in May or whatever. You own your business. You make the calendar. You can take as much time as you need to remain a fully functional human. You don't have to earn time off. You deserve a weekend and a slower season, whether you've crushed it, nailed it, cruised through, or just barely survived when it comes to this year. The world, to say it another way, this is like the third rephrasing of the same thing, the world will not cease to rotate on its axis if you're having a good time and you don't work on Tuesdays. I promise. <laughs> you might have heard me talk before about going one step further on the pleasure route and actively planning against something. So for me, that means making a depression calendar, which is my personal antidote to cold winter days when I would rather do anything but leave the house. That involves scouring your town for events, films, festivals, gatherings, parades, parties, shindigs. It costs you only a few minutes. It might cost some nominal ticket fees. And in return, you will actually leave the house when it gets dark at 4.21 p.m. instead of sinking into the abyss of Netflix and delivery pizza for the duration of your seasonal affective disorder. I got nothing against Netflix and delivery pizza, but four months of it is going to take a toll, right? <laughs> so can we plan against that and make a depression calendar and put things on your calendar that you look forward to? Good planning, in my experience, can be the difference between looking out over a bleak emotional landscape and seeing a ton of things to look forward to on your winter calendar. 
For me, it's the difference between having a so-so winter and an absolutely devastating one. And if I manage to get a spectacular winter under my belt, you will be the first to know, and I will share everything I've done in order to make that happen. That has yet to happen. I hold the possibility that that may be so. Number four, you're going to embrace the ways that you actually use time. You, the human that exists right now, not your aspirational self, not your ideal self, not your higher self, not your fully enlightened self, your actual in this moment self. How do you actually use time? In my experiences working with coaching clients, I found that there are two main types. There might be more. I only know about two right now. The first is the achiever's achiever. If you're an achiever's achiever, you're naturally going to fill every single moment with work unless you schedule offline time, downtime, free time, and unstructured time. I nicknamed this the Tony Robbins types. You may have a different name. It's just that achieve, 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 achieve. Anytime you're not achieving, you're f- anytime you are not achieving, you are failing, which is not true. Of course, it's just what your brain tells you. If you are naturally prone to being productive at all times of the day and night, You're going to schedule your days off before you plan your work days. And you're going to make no-go zones. For example, Tuesday evenings or all day Saturday. And those are entirely off limits from work-related tasks. Finally, it can be really helpful to create start and end times for your work on any given day. So you are not allowed to work before 9 a.m. Or you are not allowed to work after 9 p.m. Or you are not allowed to work between the hours of 2 and 4 p.m. These are things that you make up. I'm not in charge of them. But those clear start and end times make a really clear division between I'm on and I'm off. Because otherwise you're just on all the time. The boundaries that we create around your time with those sort of inclinations or, or making off time and downtime and time that you're not allowed to access work or to keep your work from spilling into every aspect of your life and taking over every relationship you have, including the one you have with yourself. So you are actively choosing to not let busy crowd out your interior life. The space, the silence, and the stillness that it takes to make your truest work happen cannot happen when you are working 12 to 15 hours a day. And if you turn off your work but then switch into go, 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 other mode, like I have to make dinner and then I have to clean and then I have to this and then I have to that and then I have to. When are you off? When are you down? When are you not accountable to anyone for anything? That's what I'm asking because those are the moments that need to happen on a weekly basis for you to have a sustainable life. And then at the other end of the spectrum, do you hate structure and discipline more than nearly anything else on earth? (laughs) I'm raising my hand for this one. If yes, you naturally fight structure and you feel imprisoned by the discipline of knowing what you're going to do on any given day. And so you you fix that by making vague to-do lists, which never come to fruition or which have the same 10 tasks at the top of them for months at a time because you cross off all the easier fun things and then you just keep the horrible things on the list. It has taken years for me to realize that I actually have to schedule not just writing time, but I have to schedule email time and marketing time and administration time and banking time and coaching time so that they happen. Anything that you naturally avoid has to have a specific time. And anything, obviously, that has a specific time attached to it, like a meeting, has to go on the calendar as well. And again, you're going to schedule your work days with clear start and end times, not because your work is going to overflow, but because you'll naturally just, eh, I can do it tomorrow. I can do it later. 
A trick for that might be holding a morning call, holding an evening call, holding a meeting, um, that, and that helps assure that you're going to show up on any given day, that you're going to be at, at your desk on any given day, that you're going to be doing your work on any given day. The goal is to actually work through your to-do list instead of getting distracted by what is urgent or shiny or worse, urgent and shiny. And as you take a look at your to-do list, you're going to break every huge task on it, like make a new website or get 14 new clients into much, 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 much smaller tasks. And the bigger the project, the more likely you are to have tons of tasks within it. So this is the main job of the people that hate structure and discipline is breaking the huge project into small tasks. And then for me, it's about making windows in which I can work on something. So I'm going to write something during this time. Doesn't have to be a specific thing. I can have a list of topics, but I'm going to write something. Going to check my email here. Doesn't have to be a specific amount of emails that I return or whatever. Just going to make time and make sure that that happens. You're going to layer those into your calendar. And choosing to get every one of those smaller items from the larger projects onto the calendar means you are much more likely to finish the project, publish the website, launch the thing, or sell the event. Sometimes your asshole brain calls you a flake when all you really need is a clear calendar and specific to-do lists for any given month. It's not that you're a flake. It's that you're going around and around and around and around these same lists over and over in your head, and you need to call them forth into very specific tasks and then call them further onto a calendar. It really can make all the difference. So when we create boundaries around your time and very specific to-do lists, we are making sure that every work item is on the calendar and therefore it actually gets done. The goal here is to keep your most important work from being pushed to an elusive someday that never comes. And it also keeps you from wallowing in that place of, oh God, I don't know what to do next. And that place can cost you weeks or months or years. And it's not that you don't want to make a thing. It's that you don't know how to begin making a thing or you haven't made space to make a thing. That's the most common thing. So make space to make a thing. Even if it's just like work on X and you have no idea what you're going to be doing to work on X, the very first and best thing to do for yourself is to make space for it to happen. When you translate enormous tasks into smaller ones and smaller ones and smaller ones, and you have them on a calendar, you also have a realistic grasp on how long any given project is going to take. That's going to cause way less stress about timelines and due dates and deadlines. Because as much as you would like to believe that you really can write a book while you sell your screenplay, while you raise your baby, while you cook all the meals, while you work out, while you fight a chronic illness, you can't do all of those things at once. And being realistic about what you're capable of is the first step. Breaking your tasks down and scheduling them allows for realistic time expectations all around with everyone involved, with you, with your family, with your friends, with your co-workers, with your clients, with your colleagues. Everybody gets on the same page when it's like, actually that thing that I've just been thinking is going to take three weeks, is going to be more like three months. Awesome. Plan accordingly. You don't have to kill yourself to get it done. You're going to be great. Number five, deprioritize the shit that doesn't matter, that isn't working, or that sucks your energy. So this part of it is just as vital as getting all of the planning, organizing, into doing exactly right. Because if you have a client that sucks or you have a bunch of clients that suck, or you have a bunch of projects that you're not excited about, or a bunch of commitments that you have to work on, 
but you don't want to do, that sucking of energy is going to infiltrate the entirety of your life and your business. One way to notice this, uh, if you've spent a bunch of months working on a project and it did not appear on your achievement list from earlier in this episode, can you find a way to ditch it, to stop promoting it, to vote it off your business island, or to otherwise let it be for a while if you don't plug, pull the plug entirely? To ask a different way, is any one product or client consuming a disproportionate amount of your attention or energy with little reward? So it isn't you have this one big client and they take up all of your energy and they also pay you a shit ton of money and they're fantastic. It's you have this one big client and they make your life a living hell and you want to fire them with every fiber of your being. Okay, so can you figure out a way to do that or to scale back or to put more parameters around it or to charge way more and price them out of something? Finding creative ways to let energy move and to let go of what doesn't serve is just as vital as adding a bunch more stuff to your plate. To say it a different way, cutting the the chafe often makes way for chaff, chafe, C-H-A-F-F. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Now I'm having an existential crisis about it. Cutting the chaff, chafe, uh, often makes way for more amazingness, more wonder, and more progress on your most important tasks. And should you want to check into um, the website for this con- um, for this podcast, there are tons and tons and tons and tons and tons and tons of links. I, I think I linked to about 20 articles in case you want to dive further into past articles about this stuff uh, as we go through. So it's worth visiting kristenkelp.com to look at. Number six, plan to communicate with your peeps regularly. The first thing, you have peeps. And don't even fight me on this. You might call them, uh, I don't know, your your clients or potential clients, or you might have a nickname for them. You might call them just your humans, your brothers, your sisters, whatever you call them. Even if we're just talking about your mom and that one friend who tells you to write more often, or three past clients, or 40 people who signed up for your email list a bunch of years ago, or thousands of people who signed up for your email list, or anywhere in between, you have peeps. And talking with them, engaging with them, generally communicating with them inevitably leads to a healthier, more stable business. And as much as you fight discipline and knowing what you're going to do on any given day, it is absolutely vital that there's some sort of stability that keeps this business thing moving. You don't have to have a content calendar or editorial calendar or Pinterest optimized Pinterest optimized images or all three in order to talk to your peeps in a casual way about what you're working on and what's for sale at the moment. You do have to communicate with them regularly via a channel you control if you want to avoid finance related stress though. So whether you choose to use email, snail mail, live meetups or a combination of the three to talk with your peeps, how to fucking communicate helps you in introduce you to quick, clear, doable ways to connect with your fans, your followers, clients, and potential clients. It is not stringent, stressful guidelines across 83 social media platforms. It is just simple, not freakishly difficult ways to talk to people regularly. That's something I've been doing for a lot of years now. I've had a lot of practice. And so I share what I know because I'm not good at editorial calendars and content calendars and having shit on my calendar for the next six months and feeling like, oh man, I'm so together. There's a certain life and vitality that I need. And so I can't go too far into the future because I don't know what's coming. And I like to experience my life in real time with my people. 
So I tell you all about that and all about uh, how to fucking communicate at kristenkelp.com slash HTFC, how to fucking communicate. Um, that class is $69 and it is worth every fucking penny because when you actually send emails to your actual people, you actually make more money than when you don't. <laughs> it's really simple. And then there's number seven, which is just a really simple kind of woo question, but actually really important as well, which is ask what wants to be born. So often as you make space for any kind of reflection and planning, even if it's just listening to this podcast, you will uncover an inkling that you would like to make a new thing. Or you might find that you finally have time to take action on the inklings that have been circling your brain like patient but slightly annoying hummingbirds since the middle of the year. Personally, I've got a workshop that wants to be born, and there's also a bigger, deeper project that wants to take shape this winter. It is par for the course for this to be terrifying. Like, this is big. It is huge. It is terrifying. Of course it is. And we do it anyway. When you ask what wants to be born and you get an answer, you want to establish a series of deadlines and check-ins for yourself, possibly with a partner, possibly with someone who loves you, possibly with someone who doesn't love you and won't let you get away with shit, depending on what you need, that can ensure that whatever your truest work is, you're going to get it done. Whatever wants to be born, you are going to bring it into the world. Even if it's slow going, even if you don't know how it will make money, even if you're sure it will fall apart and you're afraid to start, you're going to do it anyway. Acknowledge and then make what's dying to be born. Because that is part of the work that only you can do. And I'm not interested in how good you are at reselling some shit on Amazon in order to make 10 cents a product. I am interested in you doing the work that only you can do. That is what we need. And it might be that you work for Amazon making 10 cents a product, but probably not. If you are a business owner, a reminder that M School is a podcast series that was released earlier this year. Uh, you can go to kristenkelp.com slash podcast, scroll on down, um, and I'm going to walk you through um, how to bring your magical self into the world of, uh, of being in business, which is often quite like everyday, ordinary, muggle, boring. How do we do that? What does it look like? What does it look like to market yourself? Um, what does it look like to acknowledge your true nature, which is magical, while also selling the shit out of your work? That is free, it is magnificent, it is smart, it is funny, it is witty, it is some of my best work, so please go listen to it if you haven't yet. And finally, if you need my help bringing a project to life, bringing something that wants to be born into the world, revamping your business, or holding you accountable for any changes you want to make, whether they're really big or fairly small, I want you to check out KK on Tap. I would love to work with you for a whole year. And the way that we do that is through four quarterly one-on-one -on -one calls, four quarterly group coaching calls so that you can ask questions in a, a larger group, uh, access to all of my archives, access to any new stuff that comes out that's valued at up to $1,000, uh, and you have email and phone support, well, anytime you need it, as well as a 15-minute phone-a-friend call. Should you be like, holy shit, it's going down, I'm going to die, this stuff is terrible. I got you. You couldn't see me making a, like, a banana phone with my hand calling myself, but I was. <laughs> so uh, you can put down a $100 deposit and we'll start working together in January. 
That is at kristenkelp.com slash tap or just kristenkelp.com. Click on work with me. You'll find all the KK on tap details. That's all I'm going to say about that. And finally, if you would like to explore any part of planning your year further, you can check out episode 88 of That's What She Said. It's called How to Plan Your Next Six Months. And that in that, you can hear me literally tear off a bunch of butcher paper, get out a Sharpie, and write down the next six months so that this is not an abstract exercise. It is an actual practical, okay, this is how it's going to go. This is what it looks like. This is what I'm going to put here. This is what I'm going to market there. Those sorts of things. That's episode 88 of That's What She Said. As you plan your new year, as no matter when you're starting your new year, um, may you let go of all the bullshit that needs to be let go of. May you embrace time for space, for stillness, for silence, and for pleasure. May you find the courage and the dignity to do this business thing your own way. May you remember to breathe when all of this gets really difficult, and may you remember to be grateful when you need to be grateful. May you know deep down that there is work that only you can do in this world, and may you find the love and the courage and the strength and the enthusiasm to do it with all of your heart. Thank you so much for listening. Happy holidays, happy 2018, and may you have the very, very best year of your life coming up in 2019. Thank you, and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening. One more time, The Antidote is a series of monthly gatherings to help you come back to your body, your being, and your breath when it's most likely that you'll self-abandon. The Antidote is the antidote to trying to do everything all alone, all by yourself, while you grow more stressed and you're generally freaking out and telling everyone you're fine while quietly or not so quietly, scream sobbing in a private place between tasks. Let's not do that. Let's try something different. This is a really simple format, one gathering a month on the first Tuesday of the month until the 2024 election. So we're practicing the skills that we will need in November now And we're getting really comfortable with body, breath, and being now. And that's available to you at jointheantidote.com. There's a free recording. You can sign up. You can get more details. Enjoy, enjoy, enjoy.